Entrepreneurs can get stuck in their head. If you dream of changing the world, but you're not sure where to start, the Add Value to Entrepreneurs podcast will help you transform your life and business. This podcast is for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life that they desire. You deserve it, and it is possible. It's time for you to add value. This episode is brought to you by Perfect Publishing. Perfect Publishing is a different approach to publishing a book. Perfect Publishing is sharing a project of hope. We carefully chose heroes of hope who exemplify living a life they created through faith, hope, patience, and persistence. No matter what page you open to in this mini cube of hope, you will find a leader with a big heart. You see you are not alone. The authors may share similar challenges that only hope and action could resolve. Get your free ebook at getadoseofhope.com. Get a dose of hope.com. Our guest today is Christy Andrus. Christy is a former media exec at HBO from Sopranos to Game of Thrones, turned life coach who helps women find the sweet spot in work life balance. She's a mom of three, a wife, a writer, and a rescue dog mom who is fluent in confidence building, discovering your purpose, accelerating your career, plus travel, sabbaticals, and happiness strategies. If you're at a crossroads and want to level up, she's the coach who, may, who walks beside you as you tackle your biggest goals and make most of your life. Christy Andrus and Noellen Robert talk about her journey from a successful executive media career path to mom and entrepreneur. Christy recognized that her big media career with HBO was not compatible with how she wanted to show up as a mom and wife. She designed a different path and gave up her corporate success for success in helping others. Well, Christy, thank you so much for joining us today. Looking forward to having you on the show. Thanks. I'm excited. I love I love this type of conversation, so it's going to be really fun. Absolutely. So typically we let each guest just share their entrepreneurial journey and what led them to starting their own business and then what you're doing and how you're making an impact now. Yeah. So I'll... Um, I'll try to stay on topic. <laughs> no worries. So I, um, my entrepreneurial journey is um, about five years in the making now, um, not quite five, but um, I, I had no idea that what entrepreneurship was. I didn't know it was a thing or even a possibility in my life. And I was like firmly entrenched in corporate life. I loved it. I loved the simplicity of do this, get this promotion, do this get this responsibility. It was so clear cut and it was so like such a natural, I guess, ascension after college for me. And so I've, I was in sports and television for, oh, like almost 20 years, I think. I don't know. I should count that up, but um, I loved it. And it was, they were dynamic industries. They were fun, great leaders, um, amazing colleagues. It was all great. And then, um, as I was moving up and growing a family, I was just in this place where I, I was doing so much all the time that my life was just way too fast. And um, if you flash back to about 2012, I think early 2012, um, I had just been offered a bigger role at HBO in New York. And I was really excited about it. And almost like, Within two weeks, I also found out I was pregnant for the first time with twins. And I just, I, I, uh, I was so naive. I was like, well, of course we'll move to New York and we'll raise twins there and we'll get a nanny and I'll commute and we'll do all the things. And I was so optimistic and eager. And then we started like figuring out the logistics of that. And um, at some point in that journey, I had this breakdown with my husband. I said, I don't want to raise my kids. In New York, I want him. I want him to have a big dog in a big yard and be in Colorado and just have a childhood like I had. And my husband was like, "Oh, thank God, me too." <laughs> and we were just both afraid to say it. And then um, we just, just said, "What if we tried something different?" And that was kind of just that question. I think was kind of the like opening the door <laughs> to what entrepreneurship could be. And just considering possibilities that didn't look like, what if I wasn't climbing the corporate ladder? Or what if I wasn't really 
focused on this one kind of career path that I've been on for a long time. At that point, I had been at HBO 13 years. And um, I mean, it just was like, it was pretty wild to even think about doing something else. So at that point, um, that was in 2012. I had three babies in three years. And then, and I was still like each time just jumping back in after maternity leave, traveling every week, flying all over the country and kind of going with it. But I felt like I was missing out on both sides. The work didn't have the same meaning. My kids were growing so quickly. And um, right after the maternity leave for the second, which was 20, 2015, um, I said, I can give it a year. I can give it a year and then we need to have a backup plan and figure out what our next move is. And that had big implications for my husband too, because frankly, he had been a stay-at-home dad through all three babies. He gave up his broadcast career. He went um, kind of, you know, remote and virtual and like contract. And then um, he was like, so what does that mean? Am I, am I going back? Are you staying home? And I said, I don't know, but I think we should figure it out. <laughs> and then um, I left corporate life in 2016 we took what was going to be the rest of the year sabbatical and we turned it into almost two years of traveling and enjoying the family and just rethinking what our lives could be. And then 2018, I launched my coaching business and it's kind of been off to the races ever since. So that's kind of a long winded answer, but that's, that's how it went. Nice. So, I mean, you mentioned some, obviously I, I love the power of a question. Right. And being willing to ask, you know, what if we tried something different? Yeah. Is is so powerful. Um, obviously, communication and you know, working with your husband is, is, is pretty powerful as well. Right. Uh, being able to realize that, wait, this isn't what either one of us really wants. <laughs> yeah. We, we had been married for approximately like 30 days when he was diagnosed with cancer and talk about a re relationship accelerator. <laughs> it just like our level of trust and intimacy and interdependence and like willingness to share our vision with each other and all that, just like most newlyweds don't have that. Right. And um, we were we were like mature, kind of mature adults or mature -er -er <laughs> adults when we met. So we had kind of had our own lives, our own careers, our own everything. I met him when I was, I think, 30. I got set up on my one and only blind date <laughs> when I was 30. But um, when we met, I, you know, I wasn't that into like the idea of marriage and kids yet. And he wasn't either. And we just became really good friends. So when we got married and then boom, that cancer diagnosis, it kind of shifted everything because it, it had implications about when and how we would have kids and how we would do life together and financial constraints and all of that. And so it just, I felt like our relationship went from year zero to year five really quickly. But all that to say that when we were faced with these other kind of big life questions, like changing industries or changing jobs or anything like that in the whole like context of what we had already been through. It just didn't feel like it was the biggest deal in the world. Hmm. Well, it sounds to me like obviously really, I think entrepreneurship is a crucible for personal growth. Oh, the, a cancer diagnosis in the midst of a young marriage is a crucible for a relationship, right. And, yeah. and kind of accelerates it by, by putting it under pressure and, yeah. and that higher, higher temperature. And, and it brings the impurities to the top. And some people figure out that, Hey, you can just, you know, we can scrape these impurities off and we're left with, with pure gold, or we can get caught up in the impurities yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah. a lot of people spend their time there. Yeah. And, and you just like learn, I mean, I, um, I'm a podcast junkie and I was listening to one this morning about, um, they're just now starting to kind of study the implications of the pandemic and what um, psychological growth we've had both as individuals and, you know, as uh, like the whole world. Right. <laughs> and um, I think that's part of it is just the resilience and the life lessons and the, 
distilling what's important to you and all those things that kind of inevitably happen that you would never choose the things that are hard to go through and endure. But if you survive them, there's so much beauty sometimes in what comes out of that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So as you decided to go into coaching and you've got, you know, three little ones and figuring out life, how, and what is it, what did it look like to design your business around your family? Yeah, that's a really good question. I wish more women asked themselves that when they're becoming an entrepreneur. Um, uh, so I do this exercise a lot with my clients and I did it with myself as well. And we just like, if you take a piece of paper and you divide it into three columns and one column is your non-negotiables, one column is your negotiables and one column is your easy gives. And I literally just kind of thought about you know, I had a, this body of evidence and success in my corporate life. And I wanted to figure out what I wanted to pull forward and what I wanted to leave behind. And like, for example, coaching kind of came naturally because that was, that was the part of my corporate life that I loved and I wanted to do still I, like lead teams and develop people and, um, bring resources together and, um, guide them on journeys and take a vision and articulate that vision and execute against that vision. All those kind of skills were corporate skills that I wanted in my business, but there were some things that I didn't want, like um, traveling all the time or clients that didn't um, align with my values or um, being busy for the sake of being busy, <laughs> things like that. There were some things that I didn't want to bring forward. So I kind of listed those out and then um, I tried to, like in early iterations of my business, I tried to align like what matters to me, what matters to my potential client, and where do I think I can deliver real value? And um, I had a bunch of different ideas about that. I thought about like coaching women through supporting their spouse or a loved one who had cancer, who had been through a certain journey like that, or IVF, because that was one of the journeys we had after cancer, given his diagnosis. And then or there were things like I thought about um, one of the, one of the most telling um, times of my early business was um, I thought I wanted to help women get to the C-suite faster because my thought was more women in executive positions means more change, more you know progressive decisions. It means systemic like shifts. I, I had all the things going for it that kind of checked my boxes. And what instead I found was I was so done with corporate life <laughs> that I would get on the like elevator in my suit and I would kind of get sweaty. And I was like, this is just not where I want to be anymore. This is not who I am anymore. I want to be more creative. I want to write. I want to do the things that were missing too in my corporate life. That was really integral too to my process was what, what are the things that I always love to do that weren't currently being utilized um, in my corporate life? And so it was trial and error, basically. It was, these are the things I think I want to do, and this is where I think I want to help. And then I would have conversations, and I would get clients, and I would, like, try it. <laughs> and it wasn't a very... Um, it was probably less analytical <laughs> and less um, by design than it could have been. But also I was really into just doing it my way and trusting myself and like letting it go where it went. And it was basically like almost overcorrect from how prescribed my corporate life was. I'm like, let's just see what happens all the time. And it turned out to be great because I could, um, put my, my real life, my family life at the center of every consideration. And then if it, if it benefited the business and my family life, like then it was kind of a no brainer, right? Nice. All right. Clarify the three columns again. Okay. So one is negotiables, right? Negotiables are the things that matter to you, but there's wiggle room, right? Room for negotiation. So it could be like, I didn't want to travel every week and jump on a plane every week, but I was willing to travel for the right client or the right project, right? So it's there's some gray area. Non-negotiables are those things that you just know are soul-sucking. They are not good for you. And whether you've been doing them or not, you're ready to take them out of the equation. So um, for me, I, you know, I worked in a very large, very publicly traded. A media company for so long and change was 
Like it was a Herculean effort. <laughs> and so um, I wanted to be like a non-negotiable for me was I want to be in the sweet spot of innovation and creativity and doing things on the spur of the moment. That was a big one for me. Or um, easy gives are those things that in a true negotiation where you, the other side of the table may want that thing from you. And it may be just an easy decision for you to give it, but you're not going to offer it up. You're going to hold it to negotiate, right? <laughs> so within our family, for example, me staying home was an easy give, although it was such a departure from where we had been, where my husband was home, it required some negotiation because that meant him going back out there, right? All right, I still missed the third column. Easy, easy gives. gives. Oh, easy gives. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I get a little. Excited. I got so caught up in the story. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's just one of those things that, like, some people are list makers, some people like pros and cons, whatever. I like to say, and by the way, it's kind of an ever evolving document. So you're, you know, at your different life stages or different priorities in your life, things change and can shift from one column to the next or come off the list entirely. I think um, like pandemic life, right? How many people could never conceivably think of themselves as remote workers and now that's negotiable for them or now maybe that's non-negotiable and they want to do that going forward, right? Oh, absolutely. I think traumatic, traumatic events can definitely impact your columns completely. And, yeah. and, you know, to, to recover from a traumatic event, you know, opens up the possibilities of starting that column, all of those over. Yeah. Right? And, Cause and something I, that's non-negotiable before an injury is absolutely on the yes. table. <laughs> yeah. And I think people um, just got to give themselves some grace about that. And um, you know, I think we get pretty entrenched in like who we are. I'm not the kind of person who does this, or I am the kind of person who does this. And I mean, like give yourself some room <laughs> to change and grow and figure it out and try things on that maybe are outside your comfort zone or like, it's a pretty big jump from executive to entrepreneur, employee to entrepreneur. And um, you, you think, you know, how it's going to go, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <And you> find out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you were talking about the journey that you've taken to find your niche and the ladies that you want to help. How has mm -hmm. that focus helped you? Um, I think I it was really um, important to me that I coach things that I know firsthand and that um, I meet women where they are, um, no matter where they are in their journey. But I think there's some like common denominators, right? So like if I say the short version of what I do, I say I help women crush their goals and love their journey. Right. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's pretty broad. And, but if you like, just take, um, the themes or the commonalities between the clients I have, they're always ambitious. They're always competitive. They're always kind of at an intersection where they're like, life is calling them to level up and they're a little in over their head for maybe the first time. Right. It could be, from wife to first time mom, it could be from um, like mid-level management to executive. It could be, um, like you said, a health challenge or something, a family dynamic shift or something where they're just like, okay, I'm in the deep water now and I would like someone to kind of hold my hand and walk me through this. And um, there's always a business piece, right? So um, while I, I don't know, let me think about that for a second. I don't think I've ever worked with a woman who isn't like driven in her career, starting a business, like doing something like definitely working women. Right. Because that's the, that's the path I know. And while, while my career is infinitely less important to me, <laughs> since I became a mom, it's still like who I am. And I love to like lead and achieve and branding and marketing. I, I eat all that stuff up. So I, it works well for me to be working with women who also want to talk business and talk shop all the time and also accomplish these like big life goals. So it kind of, I, I would say it's been organic in the sense of um, finding that 
finding that person. And it's just now it's at the point where um, like I'm more focused on growing my audience because my, the woman who calls me said, she already knows she wants to work with me. Right. And I already know in the course of a five or 10 minute conversation, if she's going to be a good fit. So now it's like, it's always that sweet spot. It's just getting more clients and broadening my message. Right. Right. Yeah. So it sounds like you're at that scaling stage and, yeah. and you know who you want to work with and you know how to communicate that well, because you've identified a good niche. So yeah. now what are you doing to increase that audience to get more of those calls? Yeah. So, um, I, I would say it's kind of multifaceted. Um, I am, um, I'm a writer and so, um, a lot of long form content I'm on medium and I contribute to a handful, well, like 20 something other publications, but, uh, I like to, as much as I love social media for just like drop-ins and videos and highlights and stuff, long form content's where it's at for me because I like deep dives into stuff. So, um, writing a lot is, is one way. Um, social media is another way. And then stuff like this, where I am talking to my people who are also obsessed with entrepreneurship and who are doing cool things in their own lives. And, um, I haven't done a lot of paid media yet, but I, I'm not opposed to it necessarily. I think it just wasn't my focus the last couple of years during pandemic life. I, was more focused on kind of walking the walk of what I was teaching, which was balancing remote schooling three kids <laughs> during the pandemic and running my business. And that was a lot. That was more than a lot. So I think that um, I, I just wasn't ready to take on all the stuff that I'm kind of ready to take on now. So I know, I mean, being in corporate world, you had lots of people that were over you and guided you through life. Um, what would you say were good examples or relationships that were like a mentor and, and how has that helped you get to where you are? Yeah, it, um, I was very lucky in that even though I was in um, sports and television, which are typically like male dominated kind of arenas, I had a lot of female, strong female role models in both, both areas and um, women who too, who were not just career focused, but also had families or had things going on in their personal lives and a lot of um, examples of how to do balance. Now, I didn't love how they all did balance. Like there were some good examples and there were some good, bad examples, but um you know, you kind of pick and choose. And then um, I think one thing that I did not um, appreciate while it was happening, because I just didn't know any differently, but now in retrospect, I can see it, is how um, some of the women who were at the kind of top of the food chain really um, championed and went to bat for other women in the organization. And that wasn't always a direct effect on me, but often it was, a um, like we all kind of rise together, right? It, it, it paved the way for women like in between me and them to, to advance, which ultimately helped me advance or things like that. Um, so I, I don't know. I, it's funny because, um, so I'll give you a perfect example. I was hired, when I was hired at HBO, it was in 2000, 2003, I think. Um, and very shortly, I mean like within months of coming to this new industry, new company, very like intimidating company, right? Like it was a really big deal um, for me to, to, to start over there. Like a couple months later, they went through this massive reorg, massive, and kind of everybody that brought me on board was no longer on the table. And it was such a shock to me because I thought, okay, well, there, there that was my fate. That, like, that's what's going to happen to me, right? But it didn't. And it forced me to make, um, you know, connections and alliances all across the organization because I couldn't, didn't really have a strong network. Right. 
And um, I was in Denver at the time reporting into, my gosh, like San Francisco, New York, and Dallas, I think. I was all over the place because I just didn't have a home and I didn't really have a team and I was kind of finding my way. But what that allowed me to do was see how different people were leading teams, um, how different people, some leaders were, you know, from the top of the mountain, like spouting their wisdom kind of leaders. And some leaders were propping up their people and pep talks. And there are all kinds of different versions of leadership. And there are also all these different versions of balance. And I was, I mean, I was a young 20 something. I wasn't that interested in like work-life balance. I was just eager to make my mark and keep climbing. Right. But um, as, as you know, I got married and had kids and all those things, I could see those different examples of how women lead. And it gave me so much, um, I don't know, just like perspective, right? It's so much perspective. Absolutely. Obviously, in that corporate structure, you had to develop a great deal of confidence and sounds like, you know, started rebuilding your network. How did you help that how did that confidence help you transition into this entrepreneurial space? Um, that's a good question. I'm going to say, I think I just, I was so sure that it was going to work because what was the alternative going back to corporate life? Right. <laughs> Which I, 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 like I said, I was just done. I was so, uh, done in the way, okay, this is the analogy that I sometimes use is, you know, when you graduate from college and it was the time of your life, you made your best friends there, had incredible experiences, learned so much. It was just so much fun. And yet you're like, thank God I survived that. I never want to go back there. <laughs> right. It's, it's, you loved it and you appreciate it, but you're just ready, evolutionary ready to do the next thing. And I felt like that was what happened after my career at HBO. I was so grateful for the lessons and the leadership and the, I mean, it was a huge brand with a lot of status and uh, enormous mind-blowing budgets, which you better believe I fully utilized. <laughs> and so I had all this stuff at my fingertips and I was like, okay, I'm just going to take all the good stuff about that and plow it over here and it wasn't like the work is not so different in the sense of all the things that I love. It's just that now I feel like I'm making a difference in the world and I'm doing it on an individual level and I'm creating change. And that was a piece that was missing for me before. And um, so the, the, the long way to bring it back to your question was to say, I was just so like, inspired by the vision of what could be possible for my life that it yes I was confident in my skills and abilities but that wasn't it wasn't a confidence issue it was more like could I just keep going towards this thing that I wanted to like this vision that I was excited about and I wanted to realize right so it was more like a stamina or a resilience issue than anything just keep going right well, that's really powerful right I mean Having a vision and being so inspired by it to not give up is is at the heart of true entrepreneurship because so many people hit a wall and and they quit. Yeah. Versus versus pushing through. But and obviously you've had serious life experiences that have played into the option of not quitting. It's not right. I mean, it's just not on the table. Yeah. Well, and I think, and that, sorry, that's my dog, but she's an old dog. And dogs, she, dogs are welcome on podcasts. <laughs> she was like, I'm not, I'm not leaving. So I, yeah, what can I do? We will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by the newly released book, Dream Life Planner, Move from Tired and Overwhelmed to Free and Empowered by Noelle L. Peterson, available on Amazon, or you can order a personalized signed copy at Empower, E-M-P-O-W-E-R, to dream.com. That's empower, number two, dream.com. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. Um, but yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think sometimes um, 
one of the things that one of the pieces of advice that someone gave me that I feel like has been something I've kind of grabbed a hold of at various points in my entrepreneurial journey was at some point you have to decide this is what I'm doing, right? You have to decide this is who I am. This is where I'm going. This is the path I'm on. And it's not like you have to do this dramatic burn all of your bridges and cut off your lifelines to everything else in your life. But I do think you have to decide this is who I am. And this is what, this is where it, where I'm headed. And then it starts taking all those other distracting options, all those lesser goals off the table. And uh, to, to use it for, I don't know if this makes as much sense to a dad, but for a mom, I think it's like when you decide you're going to be a mom, whether you intentionally decide and then do it, or you just are pregnant or whatever stage, however it happens for you. Like there's no going back. <laughs> there's never a time when you get to say, I'm not a mother. And so if that's you, right, that it like something almost clicks into place where it's an identity shift, right? And now you're a mom. So every decision you make going forward is in the context of as a mother. And I think it's no different when you're an entrepreneur, people who are trying it out or trying to make a certain financial goal or are, I don't know, even the, even like freelancing or side hustle or some of those things where they're not, they have kind of one foot in one world and one foot in the other. I think it's very different than saying I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a business owner, and this is who I am and this is what I'm doing. And that's kind of a commitment for life. Right. So how important is play and fun in your world? Um, <laughs> you might be surprised to learn I'm not great at that. I, so I, I, I had so much fun <laughs> early in my career. I had the most fun in my career. I was, you know, 20s, 20s into my 30s with a giant expense account, traveling all, all over the place, doing all the fun things, right? And then when I had three babies so close together, it was like such a shock to my sense of prioritization and stuff that I um, I kind of lost touch with that. Ironically, I think the pandemic reminded me how important it is because um, everything was so heavy all the time. So um, I my my stress um, relief go to is dog walks. I walk my dog every time I have a creative block, every time I have a stressful coaching call, every time a business um, decision doesn't go my way, anything where I'm like, oh, I just grab the dog, put her on a leash, out we go. And kind of being outside, moving my body is my thing. But um, with kids, it's like play is so instinctive to them not just for stress relief for, I mean, it's as natural as breathing, right? They get up, they want to play, they eat, they want to play. It's such a part of their life. And I've kind of remembered that and um, I'm getting a lot better at it. I will say um, not traveling during, um, you know, during COVID really reminded me how much play and how much fun I get out of exploration that's my favorite kind of play like discovery of a new place seeing something that i've already always wanted to see learning and planning of a trip all of that is like that's my play that's my favorite kind of play i can resonate with that <laughs> <laughs> are you a traveler i yeah yeah um, we were missionaries for 10 years mm. and he was a missions pastor and yeah i i could just travel we, we got to go on a road trip just down to colorado springs yesterday and it was just fun to give me away yeah, it's so um, for people who have that, it's, I don't know if it's a gene or what, but if you have it, it's like to for the world to stop and to stop moving is, oh, that was hard. Yeah, I think uh, it was June. So 2020, obviously, 20, July. 2020 shut everything down and, and we just got in the car and started driving out I-70 and we were headed towards Kansas. I'm like, I'm not going to Kansas. And we turned right on 287 and ended up in Texas instead. But um, literally we're, we, we joke a little, but we were looking for sodas that, that they quit, they quit making sodas. Right. And so you had to find them in grocery stores that still had them. And so we drove all the way to Texas to go to a grocery store. Um, <laughs> I found it. And, and so, yeah, it's uh 
But it was interesting because at the time, Colorado was closed up completely. And we went in and got dinner in a bar in Texas that was, and it was wide open at the time. And, you know, no masks, no restrictions. And yeah, they smoke in bars there, which we (laughs) haven't been used to for 20 years. So that was different. But, you know, we got a hamburger and we could see other people's faces. It was like, wow, this is, you know, but that, that bug to do something. And we're kind of committed to, to go someplace once a month. Yeah. Just do something. And sometimes it's a big thing. And sometimes it's just get in a car and drive to another city and stay in a hotel or something. Um, Yeah. We, so that was kind of our cadence. So we would do for like 10 years, we would do one trip a month. It was usually like a domestic flight, but sometimes international. And then we would do like road trips or day trips, you know, on the, weekends. And so we are always going. And, but what you just said about the, um, just seeing like one of the values of travel for me is what you just described, which is just seeing how people live their lives, right? Mm -hmm. We can get really tunnel vision about this is the right way, or this is the only way, or this is the path I'm on. And like that kind of tunnel vision about this is the way to do it. And for me, that's the beauty of travel is you get out there and you see, oh, there are like a billion people and a billion different ways to do life. And they're all happy. They're all doing their thing. They're all, you know, crushing their goals and working towards things that matter for them and taking care of their families. And they're just all interpreting it a little bit different. And I think it's so just, it's such a uh, important reminder to just like not feel like you're, you have to do one way, right? So looking back at all the success you've had and the wonderful career, um, and now you get to to help women as well, what is your biggest challenge? Oh my gosh, um, I have a, a million. Ah, uh, uh, biggest. I'm gonna say, um, I think it's just, um, and maybe you guys said this, um, a version of this or a little bit earlier, but it's that whole thing about who you have to become for the, you know, success, future success of your business. And, um, I'll, I'll, um, I'll explain it this way. So because of the success that I had, um, I had a lot of fear early in my business that if I took on all the clients who came to me or that if I marketed my business or that if I, um, put myself out there, it was going to just become this runaway train, right? It was just going to keep snowballing. And then I would find myself in the same place that I had just left, which was high stress, working all the time, being away from my family, you know, all the things that I didn't want in my new life. (laughs) And so, um, I almost like put the brakes on, too often because I was, I was just afraid that it was going to take over my life. And, you know, now I know, and I have that trust and that self-belief that I can, my business can evolve the way I want it to evolve and with the priorities that matter to me. But um, the challenge now is like, what's the next chapter, right? What does the next chapter of my business look like? And am I the person that I need to be to bring that chapter to life. Right. And like you, I I think Robert said it was a, it's like self-development, right? (laughs) You have to keep stepping into bigger shoes and um, like that dream. It's not like you arrive and then you're like, I'm good. It like the, it keeps getting a little bit bigger about what you see, the potential of your business, the potential of your life. And so um, you got to level up your skills and your, um, all the things that come with it. So I absolutely. Saying. So, so you mentioned in there that fear, and obviously, I think our culture and the pandemic and our current economy, um, a lot of people make fear-based decisions mm-hmm. versus decisions based on truth mm-hmm. and and based on you know the things that they know. How, how did you turn that around for yourself to, to make decisions on what you know versus, you know, allowing the fear to, to drive you? 
Yeah, that's a that's it's a hard and it's kind of something that even if you accomplish it, like you know, your life gets bigger, things get more complicated, you drop right back into that, right? It's kind of a default setting. So uh, I, a lot of my clients wrestle with this. And um, I, I usually explain it like this. Fear is not a sign, right? People take it as a sign that yes, I should do this or no, I shouldn't do this. Fear is not a sign. Fear is a survival instinct. So when you have that that instinct, it's, you have to rationally and intellectually and emotionally process what, what is this thing really scary, like life threatening, I could die? Or is it just I'm outside of my comfort zone? And this is something I haven't done. And this makes me feel like I can't breathe, right? Because your body doesn't know the difference. And so just being able to take that breath and process is this is it, what is this fear actually telling me is huge, huge. But then if you, if you can get to the place where you can do that kind of naturally, then the next stage of that is fear or love, right? <laughs> Those are what you're picking in, in any decision, big or small is, am I moving more towards love? Am I moving more towards fear? And when you can get into that, it's like a dichotomy that just makes every decision so much easier because like for example when i'm building my business if i'm choosing my family that's a choice in love it's going to be good for my business even if it's an indirect path right if i'm choosing balance for example over hustle that's choosing love that's going to be better and so i think um as you like the fear never goes away and the fear never gets easier, but it just becomes part of who you are and how you process things. And if you have a one second, I'll tell you a quick story that really helped me. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert, who is an author, told this story once that I always think of. And she talked about when she wrote Eat, Pray, Love, which you know became the Julie Roberts movie and just took on this life of its own. Um, she talked about how terrified she was the entire time she wrote that book how she was exposing her whole life story. She was thought she was going to be judged and ridiculed. And she had no idea it would turn into this massive thing that it turned into. And she talked about her writing process and she would envision herself taking her fear out of her body and setting it on her desk for fighter. And she would say, hey, you can ride. You can go along for the ride, but do not get in my way. You're not navigating. You're just passenger, right? And she would kind of do that exercise before she sat down. And she said, when I wrote the book and it became this thing and I was on Oprah and all of the things that happened. Um, you would think that fear would go away because now I know how to do this. But instead my fear get, got bigger and more powerful because now people were like, well, what's your next gonna, book gonna be? Is it gonna be a bestseller? Like, are you gonna be on the New York Times bestseller list for 26 weeks or whatever it was? And she said, it was even more terrifying because I ha thought, well, now I have to admit that I don't even know how I did it the first time. It just was it just happened. And so I think about that sometimes with like even the people who we admire and are doing impossibly amazing things, they're still scared. <laughs> They've just figured out a way that works for them to do that evaluation of is this is this a sign or is this just me stepping into an unknown place and tackling something that I've never done before? I think that story really shows the the power of authenticity, right? I mean, the the reason Eat, Pray, Love was so successful was because she was her authentic self. Yeah. How how do you help women embrace their authentic self? I mean, I try to walk the walk as much as possible. I I talk about authenticity all the time, and um, oh, I just think there's a different like I call it shiny people. <laughs> It's people who have that glow because they are who they are. And it's not like they're unapologetic, right? They're usually often very sensitive about who they are. But I think they're just very comfortable in that I am who I am and accept me as I am. And I'm ready to like whatever happens because I've chosen to be me happens, right? And they're just okay with in their skin, but also their place in the world. And so as often as I can model that, draw attention to that, or um, give people the courage to do that, I do. I try to. Nice. 
So what are the blessings of raising your little ones and raising your family while running your business? Um, everything. <laughs> it's the, it, the time freedom is my biggest um, one in that um, just being there for their moments and being, it's my sole discretion. Like if I, you know, they're a little bit bigger now they're, the twins are going to be 10. My little one's going to be eight. So they're, you know, bigger now, but let's say one of them burst in here and was like, mom, I caught a grasshopper. I have to show it to you right now. I could do that even though I'm in the middle of a podcast, right? I, I can be present to everything that unfolds and that is a blessing in every way that it can be. But also during pandemic life, it was like a blessing times a blessing times a blessing, right? Because I didn't have all those like heart wrenching decisions that people had to make about jobs and being somewhere and childcare and schools closing and all that. Um, but then it's also just all the things that I'm modeling with them. We, um, I returned something at Amazon the other day and love or hate Amazon they've left an indelible imprint on the entrepreneurial world. And um, I talked to my kids, <laughs> like when we were returning, I was talking about, here's the entrepreneurial lessons of a frictionless return policy. And we kind of walked through that. And those are conversations that like, they kind of get what an entrepreneur is kind of not, but they have right. no problem shouting it from the rooftops. My mom's an entrepreneur. She's amazing. She does this and that. And I like that. I like that they can be a part of my business and kind of see the moms that I'm working with and the women that I'm helping and feel pride in that. And they can also see whether they choose to be entrepreneurial or not. I like that they can see how I get to be creative or I get to um, like, be proud of the things that I'm doing. I and they can see ambition both in mom and dad. They can see um, hard choices both in mom and dad. They can see all those things up close and personal. It's really fun. It's really really fun. I would take that a step further. I think one of the challenges for many entrepreneurs is the money mindset. And you know, one of the things that that I realized now that it was one of the things I didn't get to teach my kids that. A, it's not only okay to talk about money, but you should always talk about money <laughs> and, and, and making the money conversation. Okay. Um, and, and of course, teaching them how money works. Rather yeah. Than okay. I have so much to say about that. And I'll just go <laughs> two really recent examples. One is um, I was uh, having conversation about the phrase money doesn't grow on trees. You know how a lot of parents kind of say that because their parents said it or their grandparents, money doesn't grow on trees. Um, and what came up was this idea of, but no one says where money does come from. So a kid might hear that phrase hundreds of times in the years when they're really forming an opinion about money and they're hearing money doesn't grow on trees, money doesn't grow on trees, but no one ever is saying to them, here is where money comes from and here's how you can um, have more of it. So that that really made an impression on me when I had that conversation, because I think you're right. I think we have to have the conversations and not in a like a overly complex way, but age appropriate way where they start to just understand it in the same way they understand water or electricity or other things that seemingly come out of nowhere. Right. Well, and you just uh, have to be intentional, right? I think the challenge yeah. for parents is it's quick and easy to say, we can't buy that toy. We can't mm -hmm. afford it. Instead of saying we can't buy that toy because we're choosing to pay for the house and the water and the food. Right. And, and we're, we're intentional about how we're using our money and that's not included right now. But would you like it to be included? Because we can talk about how we can make that happen instead of just simply saying we can't afford that. And I think that's the challenge is, is we're, we're not intentional with our words and we plant those seeds like money doesn't grow on trees. But I'm not going to tell you where it does come from because I don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. And we we're planning a big trip later this year. And we say that all the time when they say, oh, mom, let's go to the um let's go to the movies today and get five popcorn, you know, five family, five, five popcorns. <laughs> it's, 
75 bucks or something, right? Can't even imagine. Yeah. And um, I say, okay, you hard choice time. Do you guys want to go to the um, movies today and buy popcorn today? Or do we want to have money to shop at the Harry Potter shop in London? Right. Ooh. And because that's what we're saving for right now. So you have to decide where, what's your priority. And sometimes they'll say, I want something right now. <laughs> right kids. It's fine. So I say, okay, well, what is, what is something we could do that's a couple dollars instead of a hundred dollars, right? We kind of talk about that. But the other thing that came to mind when you first asked that question about um, money and intentionality is, uh, here's another good one, is um, my, I don't know if your kids did this. I, you know, when the clock reads 1111 and they say it's 1111, make a wish. Did you guys ever do that? I don't think so. Okay. They had other quirky things, but yeah, it was a yeah, it's just minute, a, but, oh, like my daughter's a got a weird birthday minute on the clock. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just a, one of those weird things. You, if you, you know, if you say if you make a wish at eleven eleven, I guess it it's more likely to come true. Kind of one of those weird things, but my kids, I heard my kids do that the other day, and they were talking, and my daughter said, "Oh, I got two in." And my son jumped in and said, oh, you blew up the first wish. If you wish twice, the first wish can't come true. And I overheard that conversation and I was like, whoa, we got to talk about this right now. And they were like, what? You know, because I was kind of, I had a strong reaction to it. And I said, we're going to talk about the laws of abundance. And here's the thing is abundance isn't I can have this up to an point and then I can't have any more. And we started talking about that. And um, I think that's the intentional piece is it's not like artificially kind of like inserting all these life lessons all the time. But when you hear them say something that is contradictory to like your family values or, or they just don't know, you have to jump in on it and say, okay, here, let's talk about this. Why do you think that if you wish for two things, they're less likely than if you wish for one? So it, yeah, I think intentionality is a really big piece so so powerful. My daughter, so we have a, a grandson and, and in her effort to get her son to give me, give me a hug, basically said, I'm going to steal grandpa's hug as if there was only one to give. Yeah. And I said, Oh, oh no, no, no. Grandpa has an abundance of hugs. They are unlimited, just like my love. And there is no competition for, for getting the hugs. Yeah. And but I realized how quickly our language can yeah. paint this picture of scarcity and paint this picture of limitation rather than planting seeds of possibility and, and encouraging the, the idea of unlimited possibilities. We just tamper it down every conversation and, and just as quick as, you know, as quick as the words leave your mouth, we've, we've, we are dream crushers. Yeah. <laughs> I 100% agree with all of that. It's so insidious. We have no idea we're doing it. And um, then once you start seeing it, you really see how pervasive it is and how mm. disciplined you have to be to catch it and like just examine it. Do I even believe this? Is this even something that's true? This is like a dumb rhyme. I, like step on a crack. I, I'll break my mother's back or whatever. Like you hear that in like second grade or something. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're thinking that. 40 years later while you're walking down the street with your kids and that it just sticks, it kind of sticks in there. And you have to think about like, why do I, why do I say that? What does that mean? And what, why would I, why would I pass that along to my kids? Right. right. Absolutely. Yeah. So how has gratitude affected you and your business and your family? Um, I have an active gratitude practice. Actually, I would say um, I would go on a limb and say gratitude was my, like entry point into self-development. Um, I, it just made sense to me that the more you focused on what was good in your life, the more it would expand and the better it would get. And um, that was in the, oh my gosh, I was young. I was probably a teenager when I started that. And that, and the combination of like um, journaling and gratitude is like a one, two combo, right? <laughs> just goes together. And I think um, it's kind of like what you were just saying about once you see something, you can't really unsee it, right? And so once you start to um, see how good life is, it 
that's all your brain. It's like rewiring your brain to focus on the good. And when you're in that space, you're, of course, you're in the space of possibilities. Of course, you're in the space of abundance. Of course, you're in the space of um, potential. All the, all the things that you seek are in that space. So gratitude, I think is, it's just like opening the door to all of those more um, sophisticated things. So good. All right, let's switch it up just a little bit. Okay. What was your most memorable date with your husband? <laughs> my one and only blind date with my husband. And I'll tell you this. I I actually, I might regret saying this on a podcast. So um, we have to edit this one. But I can, I remember meeting him and thinking this guy is amazing. And then I, my, my next thought was, but way too like matchy matchy with the blue shirt and blue eyes and charming smile and handsome. Ugh, I'm just that. Like it just was so too much for me. <laughs> and so I just ruled him out. I was like, no, too cute, too matchy, too charming. Um, and of course, like I said, we're now we're married, three kids, a dog house, all the things. But um, <laughs> it was by far my most memorable date. But I will tell you quick, a really quick story of how we got there. Um, he was working in sports. I was working in sports. He was a reporter. I was working for a sports agent and a mutual friend of ours that was working at, at a radio station called and said, Hey, I met this guy today. I think he's perfect for you. You should meet him. Is it okay if I set you up? I said, no, I'm busy. I'm not interested. Um, I'll, I'll think about it. And then the summer kind of went by at the end of summer, a different mutual friend of ours who was working for the Denver Nuggets at the time called and said, Hey, I met this guy. I think he's perfect for you. Can I set you up? And I said, ah, pretty into my career. Not really interested in dating. I'm, I don't think so. And kind of blew both of them off. So fast forward to the holidays and I walked into a party and both mutual friends were there that, that didn't know each other. And they pointed at this guy and go, that's the guy. And I was like, wait, you guys are trying to set me up with the same guy. I, <laughs> Almost so creepy. Right. Meant to be. So that's when I agreed to the blind date. And of course the rest is history. So that was my most memorable, my most memorable date. Nice. So what's the big dream? My big dream. Yeah. Um, I want to, I want to move abroad and um, to Europe is my first choice. And so um, just getting our ducks in a row, we don't have a natch, natch, natural path, meaning we don't have like a visa tie or um, family, family ties or something. So it's kind of, it's kind of like starting a business. You just have to figure out as you go. And um, we're looking at a couple different, Paths to citizenship, we're also looking at just what if it was a long-term kind of commitment? What if we bought a house? What, you know, what would it mean for the kids and education and college and just all the different avenues? So that's, that's like my next big project. <laughs> all right, Christy, what inspires you? Um, I would say almost everything. <laughs> I'm pretty low-key. I like like I love gardening and just being outside and hiking and bike rides with the kids. Um, being a mom inspires me. Um, I like books. I read kind of obsessively. <laughs> um, I like everything. Learning. Learning is a big one for me. That's a common theme. Creativity. All of it. Nice. All right. You've spent an hour having this conversation with our entrepreneurial audience and you want to leave them with Christie's words of wisdom. What would you share? Oh, gosh. Um, Christy's words of wisdom. I'm going to say, um, if you have something that has been on your mind or on your heart that you want to do, you can do it, even if it's so far off the path, the current path that you're on. I think this is a time of change. And there's so much opportunity in the world that is so different than what you know. Just look up, find the people who are already doing it, get support and go. Christy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for sharing so much of your story and your authenticity and all the ways that you're serving people and adding value. Well, thank you. Such pleasure.
If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvaluemindset.com. That's addvaluemindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast, and we want to give them to you for free. addvaluemindset.com. In our next episode, Scott Schilling and Robert have a wonderful discussion about the power of connections and sharing your story. Scott is a true connector wanting to help others tap into their true potential through relationships. Scott shares his desire to see a world where more people are serving more people in their purpose with spirit, love, and joy.